0: Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment comes from the alto aria of the Bleib bei uns cantata BWV6. I like this movement for a few reasons. One is the instruments that are used, uh, the oboe de caccia, which is an alto oboe, so a little bit lower than a typical oboe that we might think of. If you watch the video we linked in the description, you'll see this oboe is curved inward like a crescent with a bell on the end that looks like a trumpet or a French horn bell. Um, Another thing I like about this movement is the plucked sounds in the background, which we'll talk about in a bit. But of course, my favorite thing about it is the moment that I chose, the moment I love, the moment I picked out for today's moment of Bach. And it has to do with the moving line in the alto solo voice. So try and listen for that. It steps downward. Here's that moment once more. Today is Easter Monday. That is, if you are listening to this right when this episode drops. So good for you. You're keeping up with a moment of Bach. Uh, we appreciate you. Yeah. blibe means stay or abide. So bleib by uns. Stay with me or abide with me. The scripture is from luke 24:29, and it's the part where the two disciples of jesus are walking on the long road to emmaus and meet a stranger and they talk with him for a while and when it becomes evening time they say stay with us for it is nearly evening the day is almost over hospitality right but soon it turns into much more than that Stay with me, for night is falling. This is pretty directly quoted in a hymn called Abide With Me, a classic hymn. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. So these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as they're walking, they meet a stranger along the way. So naturally, they start talking about the big news, and it's all the talk of the town of the whole region. The news is that a man named Jesus of Nazareth was just killed, just three days ago. He was supposed to be this messiah, this savior, someone who would rescue everyone from the Romans. But it seems like he failed because he was crucified. They thought he would save them, but, well, I guess he didn't. So the two men are lamenting this loss, and they're deciding Jesus must not have been the Savior. Then it's getting late, and so they urge the stranger, come stay with us. We don't want to just leave you here on the road. It's getting dark. So he goes in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, and this is from Luke 24, verse 30, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They recognized Jesus, the man they were talking to the entire time, the resurrected Christ. So when they asked him to stay with them, they didn't even know the gravity of what they were asking. Instead of just their hospitality toward this stranger not wanting him to be out in the cold at night. They were really asking Christ to stay with them for the rest of their lives. Christ, the resurrected savior. In this piece, Bach uses light versus darkness, the theme of the light of Christ Versus the darkness of the world and the darkness of our sins, portrayed by paths of darkness. Like in the story, the two disciples did not want to be stuck on the paths of darkness. They want to go inside. They want to save this person who they didn't realize yet was Jesus from being outside in the cold and the dark of sin. Perfect little subversion of that when we realize that Jesus is the one that needs to save them from that sin. Now let's focus in on the moment, and on the movement, the second movement, the alto aria. What is an aria? We talked a little bit about arias before in the St. Matthew Passion episode. An aria is a solo movement for solo voice. And for Bach, that meant there was also gonna be a solo instrument and they would be in interplay with each other. Almost always the format is this. The instrument starts. Then the voice comes in. and they have a little conversation. And then at the end, after the voice says the last line, the instrument gets the final word, the last little send off. So we talked about how this is an alto aria. What does alto mean? Well, it means high voice, but really we think of alto being the second highest voice. Typically soprano is the high women's voice. This particular soloist is a male voice, a counter-tenor singing an alto part. So higher voice than even a tenor. That's a little bit unusual, but we do see that in a lot of performances of Baroque music, because that's what would have happened back then. One thing that's actually unusual for Bach here is that the obbligato instrument, or the instrument that is in interplay with the voice, in this case we have that oboe decaccia and the alto solo are in the same register, which means they occupy about the same range of notes. Usually you'll have like a high violin versus a bass voice, or maybe a soprano and a cello in conversation. But here we have an alto oboe, basically, and an alto voice. This soloist is Tim Mead. It's the same soloist we heard from in the St. Matthew Passion episode nine, when we listened to a little clip from his interview. Just like with a lot of these Netherlands Bach Society's videos, there's another great interview for this cantata, Bleich by Uns. You can always find those in their description for their YouTube videos of their performances. If you were to look at the musical score of this, you would just see oboe, alto solo, and the bass line. Otherwise known as the continuo line. And that's all you see. I'm looking at it right now. But you know what? How is that possible? Because if you listen, there's so much more going on. Can you listen and hear the bass line played by the plucked cellos and the bassoon together? Let's see if we can hear that. I'm gonna play this for you on the piano a bit here. Now listen for that again, see if you can hear a plucked sound for the bass. There are also chords being played in the background. One instrument sounds kind of guitar-like. That's a muted harpsichord. And there is also an organ playing. It's very hard to hear. Listen for those flute-like sounds, soft flute sounds in the background. Organs don't always sound majestic and huge. Organists can choose the registration they want, which basically means what sounds they want, which pipes to turn on, and he's just got the soft pipes turned on here. So even though there are only those three lines on the score, the organist, the harpsichordist, the bassoonist, and the cellist are all looking off just that bass line. There's these funny little numbers in there that are helping the chordal instruments, like the organ and harpsichord, to play chords. We talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but it's just like a jazz music chart where you don't have every note, but these instrumentalists know how to build the chords on top of that, and they just improvise the way those chords sound. But Bach lays out the framework for the chords. Now let's talk a little bit about the conversation we're hearing between the oboe and the alto. There's a similarity between these little melodies. Hear how that sounds similar? about halfway through this thing, the obbligato instrument, that is the oboe, is back with that same material that we heard right at the top of the movement. But now it's in a new key. This is very typical of Bach and of really any classical or Baroque or whatever. In this whole era, in these whole eras really, composers would do this. They would start in a key. Then at some point in the middle there, they'd move to a new key. Typically that's called the dominant key. And then they get back to that home key at the end. And it's not something that you necessarily consciously are aware of when you listen, right? Right. Even if you're a performing musician, I know first time I hear a piece of music, I don't want to be concerned with obsessing over which key did the music change into. It's just sort of a subconscious effect of finally returning home at the end. Yeah, and sometimes when composers intentionally subvert that and a piece ends unresolved or it's like the middle of a piece and it's supposed to not quite resolve yet, there's something that you can feel there that's not quite right and even though it's subconscious. yeah. But yeah, when a composer brings you back to the home key and ends it there, that's part of a really powerful musical metaphor. It's the idea of going on that journey and then at the end feeling like we've returned home. When we come up to the end of this aria, we have a couple of new little lines of text before we return home, so to speak. The translation is this. Remain, oh, remain our light, because the darkness breaks forth. The German there's bleib, ach bleib unser Licht, weil die Finsternis einbricht. Finsternis here, meaning darkness and Licht, meaning light. Perfectly musically painted here, the Licht, light, is this hopeful, brighter, high note. And Finsternis, darkness is a descending phrase in which the music goes into darker minor chords. That is almost my favorite moment right there. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we heard before when we played my moment? We're almost there. So that's what we mean when we say text painting or word painting when we have these words painted by the music. Now, the second time we hear this light versus darkness, Licht and Finsternis thing, that's where my moment comes in. I like that even more this time because it goes even deeper on the darkness part. And that's the very last line in the end of the alto solo. And like we said before, the format of these arias, once the vocalist ends, the instrumentalist will still get one last little send off, and then the movement will be over. This aria as a whole movement is in a major key. This doesn't mean every chord is major and happy. It has its minor chords in there, like the the darkness thing, the finsterness thing we just looked at. And that's what gives it its drama and its pathos. But it does end like it started on a lighter major chord. And like we said, it went through those different keys but returned home. If you know how to read music, I would encourage you to check out IMSLP which is a free music library that you can find all these music scores on. What's great about us doing this about Bach is that it's old enough that you can always find the music for free public domain. And even if you can't read music, it's still fun to peruse this because you can look at what I talked about, how you can see three lines. One of them is labeled oboe de caccia, one of them is labeled alto, one of them is labeled continuo or bass. And you can see that and you can kind of follow along linearly even if you don't know what's happening, you can start to get the sense of seeing those notes go up and down on the page and listening for the pitch to rise and fall. And it's a good little primer to get you started even without any training. It's, it's kind of cool to just look at that stuff. Then I would also encourage you to look at the first movement too, because then you can see, whoa, there's so many more instrumental parts that Bach actually wrote out in the first movement, uh, as opposed to the aria we talked about. In the first movement, he's got Oboe 1, Oboe 2, and Oboe dacatia Then violin 1, violin 2, and then viola, which is like a variant of the violin, a little larger. Then the four voice parts, soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. And then the continuo, or the instrumental bass line that has the chord symbols for the chord instruments like the organ and the harpsichord. So that's all there in the first movement. And then in the second movement, you just have three lines. It's amazing how economical baroque scores are in that respect you don't have to yeah write so much out you can just write a bass line, and then the keyboardist will know how to harmonize that bass line. and then the only thing else you have to write out is a instrumental part that needs to be written out and a vocal part and that's it yeah it's almost like a jazz lead sheet like I keep on saying and that's just the easy comparison to make because with a jazz lead sheet you just have a melody line and chord symbols yeah exactly One of my favorite things about this scripture is just how when Jesus was talking to these two people, he quoted the scriptures to them and was able to teach them. And they still didn't realize it was Jesus. But as they were approaching the village, that's when they said, okay, come stay with us because it's getting dark out here. Then when they finally realized who he was, and I quoted this earlier from verse 32, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And I love that moment. And extrapolating from that a music metaphor again, like I love to do, it reminds me of when you find something really meaningful and beautiful to yourself in music or something you read or experience in any media. Maybe it's also something that you're experiencing in the Bible, but let's apply it to music for a second. When you hear something that you just realize really hits you, maybe you get goosebumps and you're like, whoa, what happened there? I love that, that moment, right? like we always talk about on this podcast with moments that we love. Why did I get goosebumps there? What happened there? Well, it makes you want to listen to it again. You listen to it again, and then you realize, oh, look at all this stuff. There was so much going on there that I didn't realize the first time. The idea of this sort of epiphany happening to these two these two people on the road here when they realized who this was, It just it's really relatable, you know? What did these guys do after this happened? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And they found the rest of the disciples, the 11 disciples there. They really were so excited to talk about what had happened on the way to Emmaus and how they recognized Jesus as soon as he broke the bread. So stay with us, bleib bei uns. It's a prayer, really. Remain with us, Lord Jesus. They want him to stay with them. We want him to stay with us. If we pray that prayer, what are we asking for? We're asking for Jesus to remain with us. How does he do that? Well, just like in this Bible passage, he breaks bread with them. He does that through his communion. A central Christian teaching is that the sacrament of communion is a way that Jesus comes to us literally in his body and blood. That is how he abides with us. That is how he stays with us. And now, here is that moment again, Alex's favorite moment from the cantata Bleib bei uns. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of the Bleib bei uns cantata by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Also check out our Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, amomentofbach.com. Please do give us a rate and review on your podcast app. So Christian, What's the moment that we're going to be talking about in episode twelve next week? We'll look at an instrumental introduction to a cantata called Duhirta Israel Hira. Until next time, enjoy those moments.